Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. It is good to see you, you bunch of sinners. It's great to be here. To... What did I say? Can you not say that? Is that not good? I know that. Like, what? Who are you talking to? You don't know me like that. It's interesting. Like, I'm at the age to where most people older than I am have grown up basically being told to suck it up, buttercup, right? Right? Like, you grind and bear through it. People younger than me, by and large, have grown up to be told that they are like cupcakes and pop, you know, cotton candy and snowflakes. Yeah, all those good things. And there's this dynamic that we live in. Amen. Neither of those are true. Right? This is a pendulum that we have swinging back and forth. And so I jokingly say, you know, good morning, bunch of sinners. Welcome to the Way Church. Love to get plugged in. We love you. Right? These different things. But there's a point to where we can look at Jonah and say, how could you? How could you be so dumb? And yet when I look at Jonah, I'm thinking, yeah, I can see that in my own life. I'm pretty stupid sometimes. Like, how could I do that looking back? And it, we're continuing our series called running. And so you can go ahead and run to Jonah chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, I'll give you a minute to get there. It's in the Old Testament. Find Psalms. It can keep turning to the right. Get to Matthew. You've gone too far. But running, and we're calling it running, this short series, because here's the deal with our relationship with Jesus. Either you're running after him or you're running from him. There's no neutral. And if you don't feel like you're doing anything, the news is that you're running from him. We just drift that way. And it's a choice that we make. We all face choices. And so you can title this sermon, for those take notes, One Choice at a Time. One Choice at a Time. And we're going to be in Jonah chapter 2, but we're reminded our theme verse comes out of Jonah 4, verse 2, where Jonah says this to God about God. The truth that he knows about God is that God is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And yet Jonah finds himself in a pretty disastrous situation, which brings us to Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. Which, if you weren't here last year or know nothing, or last year, last week, or know nothing about the account of Jonah, you'd be like, what in the world is going on, right? Well, I'm glad you asked, because this is kind of what Jonah was asking. He had one of those, how did I get here moments? What led to this? Anybody ever been there? Like, oh, how did I get here? Well, it's one choice at a time. That's how he got there. How'd you get there? It's one choice at a time. The studies indicate that we make some average of 35,000 choices a day. And most of them probably won't be life-altering, but they do curve the course you're running at some level. So how did Jonah find himself stuck in some fish guts? That's what we're asking here. Last week, we kind of covered this in Jonah chapter 1. There's four things that really happened. God calls Jonah by way of command to go to Nineveh to preach against him. That is, to proclaim the gospel, repentance, and belief. 
To which Jonah said, no thanks, right? Yeah, but no. And not only does he do that, but he runs as far as he can think of in the exact opposite direction to where God's calling him to go. Now, I was thinking through this, this is a reminder that our disobedience to God indicates a disconnection with God. It just does. And there was something going on before this with Jonah that led to this event. And so he goes and thinks he can hide. And it's funny, I was thinking about this this week of how my kids are awful at playing hide and seek. They're terrible. Like they'll go, like my little guys, they'll go and the curtains are a great place. They love hiding there. So they'll go hide behind the curtains because they feel like they're so hidden that nobody can see them. But they forget their feet are sticking out, right? Like you see your feet. And then they get giggling. And if I ask, hey, where are you guys at? I'm over here. Totally don't know the, the, how you play hide and seek. And it's cute for my two-year-old, but it's not so cute when we try to do that in our life with our sin and our shame. We think we can hide from God. Not so cute anymore. And this is what Jonah does. He goes and thinks he can hide and run from the Lord. So instead of making a decision, the choice to go to Nineveh, he chooses to go and run. And then so God sends a storm to overtake the ship that Jonah sets sail on. And so at this point, Jonah could have chose to pray and repent and God would relent. But instead, Jonah chose to go down lower into the ship and go to sleep. Which goes to the third choice. God sends, sends a sailor to say, cry out to your God and maybe he can do something because we're all about to die because of the storm. At this point, Jonah could have chose to pray, repent, and God would relent. But instead, he says, you know what? Throw me into the sea. To all this, he still hasn't stopped to pray to the Lord at all. And so then, by way of sailors, God would use these sailors to throw Jonah into the sea. Basically say, kill me. So how did Jonah find himself in the darkness of this hopelessness. Well, as we see, it was one choice at a time. One choice to the next choice. And some Bible talk, really in the New Testament, we talk about walking by the flesh versus walking by the Spirit. This is important for us to know, because what, basically what this means, walking by the flesh is choosing my desires that are opposed to God's desires. Simply. Versus walking by the Spirit would be in choosing God's desires that are opposed to my desires. This is what Galatians 5 speaks to. Verse 16 says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will, not, will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. They are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. So here's the point. Here's the scary point that we need to realize. You can choose to walk in either. You can choose to walk in the flesh, or you can choose to walk in the Spirit. And that's the caution that we have to be aware of. The choice. And Jonah chooses to walk in his flesh. There was some hatred harbored there that we talked about last week that he wasn't going to Nineveh. So I'm going to do everything I can because of my own feelings, my own desires. Which led him directly in the opposite way of the Lord. That's what our feelings do. Our desires do. And so would God leave Jonah in this helpless and hopeless situation? 
I mean, Jonah deserved it. That was his own one self-centered choice at a time decision that he made. He brought himself there. What would God do? I think my dad would tell me, full of compassion, love, grace, and mercy, you made your bed, lay in it. Anybody ever heard that? Yeah, me too. Is that what God does, though? Is that what God says? You know, I think back to King David. I think such a good example of what God does in a messed up situation by one's own messed up motives. King David, best king ever to rule and reign over Israel, had a bad choice. Another bad choice. Another bad choice. And see, he, it started with one bad choice. See, the kings at, the, at David's time were called to lead the army out when they would go to war. And so David's first bad choice that you can see in 2 Samuel chapter 11 was to stay home. The army was out to war. He chose to stay home. One bad choice at a time. And so he stayed home. The second one, he was cruising around on the top of his roof, and there's this woman taking a bath. And there's all kinds of things going on here. But it says that he saw her. And this isn't a glance. This isn't even a second look. This is a gaze. It's feeding the desires, lustful, thinking through, how can I get to this woman? And this is a caution just for, I'm going to pick on the men just because I know it's a little better, right? I know how we're wired a little better. You got to guard yourselves. We're so visually stimulated. And women, wives, you can help your husbands. It's that second look. I mean, you can't walk around blind, right? It's the second look that turns into a gaze, that turns into a thought, that turns into a lust. As soon as you start lusting, what do you say? It's like adultery. Well, the second choice David makes was to lust and desire. The next choice David makes was to go inquire and to send to get Bathsheba. What's her name? And so he does, and he knows that she's the wife to Uriah, so he knows what he's doing. So he does, he sleeps with Bathsheba. I don't know if you know this, but that's how babies are made. Do you guys recognize this? Yeah, earth shattering. So she becomes pregnant. And so then he tries to cover up his sin. Choice number four, and even five and six, through a series that David makes, tries to get him drunk, that doesn't work. Then he ends up sending him back to war, he calls Uriah home from war, tries to get him drunk to sleep with his wife. He doesn't. So he sends him back to war. And not only back to war, but he commands the commander to send Uriah to the front lines to the fiercest fight and to withdraw the troops so that he would be killed. And this plan would succeed. And so how does David go from being called a man after God's own heart to a murderous adulterer? One choice at a time. But would God leave David helplessly and hopelessly stuck in a sinful situation? See, David would experience what Jonah knows about God, that God is gracious and compassionate, abounding in faithful love, slow to anger, and one who relents from sending disaster. But it's interesting, how would God choose to rescue David from his own sinfulness? Through one man. This instance was a prophet, Nathan. And Nathan would go and bring correction to David in a Galatians 6, 1 type of way. And I know you have this memorized, but I'm going to tell you anyway. 
Because this is what we're to do. If you were to see a brother and sister in Christ struggling in sin, what do you do? Do you stand by and say, it's not my business? Or do you get involved out of love and care for that other brother and sister? Galatians 6.1 says you get involved. It says, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit. That's the whole goal, restoration out of love and care for that person. And how unloving and uncaring would it be for us to stand idly by while your brother and sister struggles in sin? So this is what Nathan does. He inserts himself. So my question for us is, what is your reaction to correction? What is your reaction when you receive correction? And really, it's correction from the Lord. And I'll boil it down because this can come in all kinds of ways. But two ways we receive correction. We receive correction by consequences, number one. That means your sin has consequences. It will impact you. It will impact others around you. But do you see your consequences based on your sinfulness as an act of God's grace in showing you those things and allowing you this correction to curve you back to himself because we all stray. So correction comes by way of consequences and correction comes by way of caring Christians, or at least it should. Again, this is another act of God's grace. So when you receive corrections from someone that comes to you that sees something that you're struggling with that maybe you're unaware of, how do you receive it? Well, David's response was clear. I have sinned against the Lord. Well, David, you sir, sinned a lot against a lot of other people, Uriah, Bathsheba. But primarily, he acknowledged that his sin was before the Lord, against the Lord. And I wonder if we forget that sometimes. The sin that we commit is primarily against God. To which Nathan replies, the Lord has taken away your sin. I think we forget that too. When we come to repentance and believe by faith that Jesus wiped away our sin through his blood on the cross, and applied by faith and knowing that it counted for us. He wipes away our sin. So when we come to him and repent, we know that our sin is forgiven us. Psalm 103.12 tells us, As far as the east is from the west, so he has removed our sin and transgressions from us. And like I said last time, this is gospel, not global. Unless you're a flat earther, then we can talk later. What do I mean? East is from the west. If you go far east and west, it's going to connect at some point around the globe. That's sometimes how we think about forgiveness. It comes back up. This means continues to go in the opposite direction and will never, ever be seen again. Completely blotted out, completely erased. This is the promise that we have by God himself. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of it. Even the murderous, adulterous David. So what David did is following his sinful actions against Bathsheba and Uriah and this garbage that he got himself in. He writes Psalm 51. Psalm 51 verse 1 says this. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. It's interesting, this, when he cries out 
to the Lord from his distress. It sounds a lot like Jonah's cry in Jonah 4.2. Jonah says, I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. So as David comes to God with his garbage, we are to come to Jesus with our junk. This is the argument I hear all the time. When people are resistant to putting their faith in Jesus, we feel like we got to clean ourselves up first. This is what I referenced earlier about those who are older than I am, the suck it up buttercup mentality, is I need to get myself cleaned up, and then I'll come to God because I can't come to him in my condition. And that's right, normally you couldn't, and you can't, except by the blood of Jesus. That is the only thing that cleanses us and restores us and renews us. So no, you cannot suck it up. You cannot clean yourself up. You can never do that on your own. And it's hard because we see our sinfulness sometimes. We see the things we're stuck in, the ruts we get into. We see the things that we participate in, the things we say, how we treat people. We're aware of our sinfulness if we just take a minute to look. But the problem is when we look, we feel like there's no way I can approach, approach a holy God and you would be right, except if it wasn't for God who did something for you. That is paying the price for sin, your sin, through his death and resurrection. And so he died and rose again so that you can live and be with him forever by faith alone, by God's grace alone, in Christ alone. This is the good news of the gospel, and this is what they were experiencing. And so in David's distress, he called out to the Lord, and it says God heard him and answered him. He heard him and answered him because his sins were forgiven. And this is what Jonah would come to see. Look at verse 2, Jonah 2, 2. He says, I called out to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Shul, and he heard my voice. Jonah would know of God, this is experientially, what he knew about God intellectually. This reminds me that so many of us struggle with, I think, is how many of us have been informed about God but have not been transformed by God? I mean, so many of us have grown up in church life where we know the lingo and we know what to do and all these different things, and we have a lot of information without transformation. And this is scary to me because that's the line between faith and faithlessness. Information is knowing about God. Transformation is knowing God. And every time we gather, I just pray that we know God and not so much knowing about God. Jonah was experiencing the gospel. That is the good news. That God was actually calling him to preach to Nineveh. He was experiencing the gospel himself. And here's the point. Listen, we know that good news is only good news because there's bad news. If there wasn't bad news, good news would just be news. We know that. And so when it comes to the gospel, sometimes we can give this gospel light version of the good news. God loves you. And we leave it at that. Is that the gospel? I would say that's gospel light. Kind of like when we, we have breakfast for dinner sometimes in the Weatherspoon household. And when my syrup runs out, I have to resort to the light version of syrup, which is like pouring water on my pancakes. Like, who wants that? Give me the fatty McFat syrup. That's what I go for. 
God loves you is a light version of the gospel. It's not the complete gospel. Because here's the deal. If we don't share the complete gospel, if you don't know the complete gospel, then you miss the depth and the amazing love and grace of God. Especially in this culture, we're continuing to shift to where we think that, of course you love me because I'm a pretty good person. We just do that. We feel like we're owed so many things. Not you all. People out there, you guys are great. People out there feel like they're owed so many things. The gospel is a thread that binds it all together. God's love binds the gospel. God's love is a thread that binds it all together. So the bad news in which we didn't know and they knew, Isaiah says in 53, Isaiah 53, we've all gone astray like sheep. We've all chosen to go our own way. And to make it worse, Isaiah 59 says, your iniquities, that's your sin, are separating you from God and has hidden your face so that God doesn't even listen. And the bad news goes from bad to badder. Is that bad vocabulary? How about worser? You like that one? You don't like that one either? God says in Jeremiah 23, can a person hide in secret places where I cannot see him? Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere observing the wicked and the good. So we have the sinful condition and God sees it all. But the depth of God's love, he does not leave you helpless and hopeless. He does not shove you away in your sinfulness. He does not ditch you in your depravity. He does not block you in your brokenness. He doesn't even reject you in your rebelliousness. And those football fans, because football season's coming, he doesn't heisman you in your hardness. You know what I'm saying? just doesn't do it. This is the depth of God's love because we deserve that. This is where the good news is. James 4 tells us that if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. That's a choice you have to make. Proverbs 145, the Lord is near to all who call on him. And so the good news goes from good news to gooder news. Let's just keep it going here. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10. Everyone. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. But Romans 10 tells us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means your sins will be forgiven, and you will have eternity in the presence of the Lord, worshiping him forever and ever, which you were created to do in the first place. But first... We have to confess our sins. If we confess, that's a big if there. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't know about you, but I've been pretty unrighteous throughout the years. I'm thankful for God's grace. God is near all who call on him. And it does not matter your physical location or your spiritual condition. I need you to know that. It does not matter your physical location or your spiritual condition. And Jonah was sinking in both. It begs the question, what do you do when you're in the darkest moments of your life as Jonah was? Literally sinking, drowning. You got a choice to make. Do you choose to drown in your despair? Do you choose to hide in your shame? Do you choose to sink in your sin? Or do you choose to call out to God and let new life begin? What do you choose? Jonah calls out to God in the midst of his distress. Because again, Jonah knows that God is 
compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in faithful one and one who relents from sending disaster. But what Jonah also recognizes here is that it's God's activity based on his own responsibility. Notice in verse 3, Jonah says, When you threw me into the depths, into the hearts of the sea, the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet, I will look once more toward your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me. Then you raised my life from the pit. Lord my God, as my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. When you're in that dark place, whether it's your own sin, someone else's sinfulness, or the helpless situation that you found yourself in, you have a choice. You can choose to look inward. Some people call this navel-gazing. It's the woe is me, or I'm worthless, or I'm good for nothing, and all these condemnations that we can spew to ourselves. The danger here is your feelings can leave you to believe that your failures are more than God can forgive. Anyone ever been there? I mean, let's be honest. There's been times I, it's hard to believe that God would forgive this thing. And this is what the enemy tries to spew at you. So you can choose to look inward, and we see the danger there. You can choose to look outward. Look at your circumstances and the situations that you find yourself in. The danger here is your focus will be stolen from the Lord who saves to your situation that feels helplessly grave. And this is what life does. I know you've known this. Like when something bad happens to you, it just sucks you into it. What we call the storm of life just draws you in. It's so hard to see out of it. I was talking to someone this week. That's when we need other brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside us and help us to stay focused on Jesus because our focus gets stolen away. Focus on Jesus. That's why we need one another. We need someone else to speak truth into our lives and remain our focus on Jesus. So you can choose to look inward. You can choose to look outward. Jonah chooses to look upward. Not that he even knew what way was up. He chooses to look towards God's holy temple. He chooses to come back and look to God. Not at himself, not at a situation, because he deserved all that's happening, but he chose to look to God. And it's a reminder that our faith should override our feelings. Again, the same conversation I was having earlier, when things get bad, things go rough, what do you do? Again, a friend of mine just reminds himself, God's promises are true. Do you believe that? God's promises are true. It's that simple. When things start going downhill, because they're going to, when things get hard, God's promises are true. When you start feeling disconnected or discontent, God's promises remain true. When our sin seems to be mounting, God's promises still remain true. If, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous, forgive us our sins, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. All things. So I don't know what things you're going through, but it still falls into the all things category. Do you realize that? All things. Even when you don't understand it, doesn't mean it's not true. James 4, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And we've said this before, and I'll probably keep saying it again until I'm dead. You cannot outrun God's grace. You cannot outrun God's grace. What do I mean? Everyone who turns to Jesus by faith and repents, God extends his grace and relents. Everyone. Your sin will never be too severe where God's grace cannot wash over it. If we understand God's grace rightly, we will completely have our lives transformed. And some people hear a message like that, and like, well, does that give you free license to sin? Well, you've completely missed what it is to walk with Jesus. Because when you understand God's grace and his love rightly, you desire and despise not, desire not to sin, despise the sin you're in. And so what we see in David and Jonah is God's amazing grace. And Jesus gets this in his parable, the prodigal son. Again, this is God's character we're talking about here. Unchanging. In the prodigal son, Jesus tells this parable, which is a teaching illustration, to a mixed audience. And it's about a son who made one self-centered choice at a time that led him away from his father. In this parable, the son, choice number one, goes to his father and says, let me have my inheritance. In other words, I wish you were dead, give me my stuff. Which is incredibly disrespectful. That probably goes in 2022, that's probably fine. In that culture, incredibly disrespectful. And consequences would have been severe. But any God parable that Jesus told, the father gives it to him, right? And so choice number two, the son took his money, his possessions, and ran as far as he could away from his father. And it says squandered it, wasted it on loose living, feeding his cravings, following his desires, wasted it. And choice number three came by the way of his finances were gone, and then a famine hit, so the food was gone. And so in his pride... He chose to rather go work among the pigs than to humbly go back to the Father and ask for forgiveness. Just for some context, for a, to a Jew, Jewish audience, that was about as dirty as undefiled you can get, or defiled as you can get. Wouldn't he be ready to worship because of the filthiness that is associated with working with pigs? And this is where we need to see house supplies. God's kindness is often shown in allowing us to hit the pig pen so you can see the sin you're in. I think we miss God's grace in that. We call it rock bottom, right? So it leads the son to his fourth choice. He realizes the condition he's in, he's working amongst these pigs, and he can't even eat the slop that the pigs are eating. So he remembers the the hard workers of his father were living better than he is. And so he says, if only, maybe if I go back there, I can be as a hired help. 
He says, I'll go to my father and say, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. He got to the point to where he was totally humiliated and humbled, and he had no other choice to return to the father. And now the father, when he sees his son from a long way off, had a choice. He had a choice to make. The father could have chose to reject the son. After all, the son deserved the consequences he was suffering, his own actions. You made your bed, lay in it. The father could have chose to do that. But instead, the father chose to accept and forgive his son, extending grace, that is giving something you don't deserve, and mercy, withholding something you do deserve. The father runs to his son and wraps his arms around him. In love and forgiveness and compassion, clothing him with his love and forgiveness and celebrates that his son, who says, was once dead, is now alive, who was lost, and now is found. And so what's the focus of Jesus' story here? Is it the son? Is it the sins? No, it's the father who represents God who is compassionate, who is gracious, who is bounding in faithful love, who is slow to anger and one who relents from sending disaster. As the son turns to the father from the pig pen, Jonah turns to the heavenly father from the fish guts. What about us? What do we do? When confronted with the sin that we're in, because we're all going to be, what do you do? Do you try to hide it and run from it? Or do you repent of it and run to the Father for forgiveness and humility? That's the choices we make. It's interesting that Jonah worships while in the belly of this fish, while remembering, reflecting on God's goodness, gracious, merciful acts of kindness to him. Verse 8, he says, Those who cherish worthless idols... Abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And this is a theme throughout all of history. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is the good news of the gospel. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He's the one that steps in and has to do something that we cannot do. We cannot do enough good things, enough good deeds. You cannot go to church on enough Sundays. You cannot pray enough. You cannot read your Bible enough. You cannot help grandma across the street enough. You cannot do enough good things to earn your way into God's presence, to wipe away your sins. It's not a scale that we try to balance. We're way out of balance. God lived the perfect life that he requires of us. Jesus lived the perfect life that we could not live, to die the sin that we were supposed to die, to pay the price for our sin so that we could live with him. And this is applied by faith. We talked about it last week. You believe that Jesus died for you, you receive forgiveness. That seems too easy to believe. But Jesus would beg to differ. Jesus didn't say this was too easy. As he dragged the cross, as he was beaten, as he was nailed and hung there, Jesus would not say, your sin was too easy to forgive. 
I think we miss the gravity of our sin sometimes. I think we miss how amazing God's love is despite our sin for us. And that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So when we say God is love, it's absolutely true. But don't miss how amazing God's love is. And God loved you so much in that while you were sinners, while you were rejecting him, while I was rejecting him, Christ died for me so I could live with him and receive forgiveness and new life. That's found in him alone. In John 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and had some questions. And Jesus says, listen, to experience the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, what? Do I crawl back into my mother's womb? Jesus like hits his head. No, no, you don't do that. It's a rough interpretation. He says, listen, for God so loved the world in this way that he sent his only son, that whoever, that's a lot of people, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So we see whoever you are, you can be saved. Whatever you've done, it can be forgiven. This is how radical God's love is for us. How could we not surrender to a loving God, a faithful God, a sovereign God like this? And this is what Jonah is remembering, renewing that vow Remember, salvation, physical and eternal, belongs to the Lord. In verse 10, it says, The Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. You weren't hungry, maybe now you are. But don't see God's sovereign activity. Don't miss it. God's sovereign activity through all this. God continued to pursue Jonah in his rebelliousness. I don't know about you, but this is encouraging for me. Because even when you sin, even when we stray, God is not distant if we confess our sins. And what we're going to see next week is we talk about revival. We talk about how we want revival. We're praying for revival. It starts with you. It starts with me. Let's start revival in us. And that starts with acknowledging our sin and repenting. I'm convinced. We start acknowledging and repenting our sin and turning to thanksgiving, because this is what he does. Turns in and gives thanksgiving to God for who God is and what God has done and is doing. When we see the goodness of God's grace, we have a choice. And that first choice is do you surrender to it? We're so worried about our church in our Western community, that just because you say you're a Christian doesn't mean you are. Do you believe that Jesus died for you? And he is the only way. And everyone who does not believe is condemned. Do you believe it? Because when you believe it, the Spirit transforms you. And you live differently. Your desires are different. Not over time necessarily, Not overnight, but over time. This is sanctification, right? He's making you more like himself. But do you believe it? My desire is that you believe it. That you see how amazing God's love is. And so when we do sin, don't turn and run, but turn to him. Bring all your mess, bring all your guards, bring all your junk, bring all your failures, bring all your shame to him. Because he's a good father who desires for you to come to him and bring the baggage, bring the junk, 
And let him do the work that only he can do in your life. I don't know about you, but my worst enemy is myself. And I started hearing the whispers that you can't do that. Do you remember what you did? Do you remember what you said? Do you remember what you thought? The difference is, yes, I did that. But I've also repented. Yes, I did that, but that's not who I want to be. Yes, I did that, but that's not who God's created me to be. I've been forgiven. I've been renewed. I have new life. I am a child of God. And that doesn't change. God's promises are true. As for me and for you, God's promises are true. So like we do every Sunday, we're going to respond. I'm asking the Holy Spirit just to move in your hearts to respond to what he's revealing to you. And maybe we just respond as we sing this last song. Just ask God to reveal any blind spots in our life, any sins we're unaware of. Ask him to reveal that to us. And then repent. Asking God to forgive us our sins and turning back to him, turning from our sins, turning to our Savior. And for those who have yet to put their trust in the Lord, I'm praying that you see the gravity of your sin, that you're helplessly stuck in it. And the only way to receive forgiveness and new life is through faith in Jesus alone. And God desires that for you. I desire that for you. That's only the Spirit has to work that in you. So I'm going to invite our band back up. And what we're going to do, we're going to pray. We're going to sing. But I want you to respond. I'm praying that God leads you to respond. You want refreshing? You want restoring? You want the refilling that only God can bring? It starts the moment we start seeking him, being desperate for him, recognizing that I've sinned, but your grace is sufficient. Your grace is enough. And because of your amazing love for me, I have been forgiven. I am forgiven. Right now, I'm going to pray for us. And after we pray, we're going to sing this song. But what about you? I want you to respond. And maybe for you, that's responding. As we sing, maybe you just need to sit there and pray to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord from your distress, in your despair. Cry out to him because he's a good father who draws near to you as you draw near to him. Ask him to reveal those things where you've fallen short. Ask him to deliver you from the bondage of sin that you're in. You keep doing this one thing. Ask him to forgive. So thankful that you are a gracious, compassionate God who is abounding in faithful love. One who relents. Father, we thank you for bringing us here, Lord. And I just ask that you reveal any sin in our lives that we were unaware of. And break our hearts that we've fallen short of where you would have us be, that we've chosen to go our own way. 
Lord, bring us to a heart of repentance for things that we have been indulging ourselves with. Those things that are opposed to your desires. Our own desires have taken control of us. Lord, I ask right now that your spirit moves in a mighty way in this place to everyone that's crying out to you that you bring freedom from the captivity of sin, that you bring a distaste for those things that we are doing that you find distasteful and displeasing. Lord, bring us a heart that desires to live for you, to please you, to be with you, to follow you, to serve you, because in you is joy and hope and love that we'll never experience aside from you. Lord, move your spirit in our hearts, Father. Help us not to play this game of Christianity, but devote our lives to Jesus. Father, we know that's only the work that you can do. If there's strongholds in our life, Lord, we ask that you break them. There's freedom found in you. Help us remember the good news of the gospel that you died for us. And so we don't have to live in the sin that we're in, that we're free from it. And our hope and our joy is rooted in you and how you've created us to be. And your presence in this place right now. And as we go from this place, we thank you for that you will never leave us or forsake us. And we thank you for your promises and that they remain true, that everyone who draws to you, you draw near to them. So help us to draw near to you and stay near to you. Bring our refreshing that comes from you. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you restore us, refresh us, renew us. Give us a new, re- new urgency to pursue you, to run to you with our baggage or shame or sin, run to you and not run from you. Father, do what only you can do, Father. We thank you. We pray all this in the mighty and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.